Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Here's the thing in a nutshell, friends. Whatever else is happening in the world around us, whatever else is going on in our lives as persons and as a people, as Christians, our central focus is always to lead lives worthy of the calling of God in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk about in our message for today, which is based on passages from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 29. And it starts, strangely enough, with a discussion of one of my favorite shows as of late. Well, folks, since confession is good for the soul, it seems uh, that now would be as good a time as any to tell you that one of the things that Lisa and I have been doing to pass the time in these days of quarantine is to be binge-watching old episodes of the television show Survivor. Now, we've been actually watching this show off and on for the whole 20 years, believe it or not, that it's been on the air. But recently, we have been re-watching the first few seasons from way back in the early 2000s. I think it actually uh, premiered in the year 2000. And watching these shows has been, please, please don't judge, not only entertaining, but fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Now, to begin with, those early seasons of Survivor were more wholly focused on two tribes of people literally working to survive alone together on a South Sea island. You got to see them struggle to make fire, to battle the elements where sometimes were very harsh. You got to see them build a, a shelter, mostly unsuccessfully. You saw them eat bugs and, and beetle larvae. Uh, which my wife, by the way, still can't bring herself to watch. And at the end of each episode, we got to see them vote off the weakest link until there was one true sole survivor. All the while, all through these episodes, wasting away to nothing and getting filthier by the day. Man, that's entertainment. Now, back then, 20 years ago, there wasn't any hidden immunity idol, which has become commonplace on this show now. There was no edge of extinction or, 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 or uh, redemption island or anything like that. There was no way to really make the game longer as it is routine now. And the so-called reward challenges, that made me laugh. Often it yielded little more than a can of Mountain Dew and a bag of Doritos. So, in many ways, this show, Survivor, is very different than what it was when it started. But what's been interesting to me is that from the very beginning of this series, the basic premise has always been the same. That you gather this group of people from vastly different backgrounds and experience, all competing to outwit, outplay, and outlast each other, all for the sake of winning a million dollars while at the same time, perhaps, maintaining their own personal integrity and dignity in the process. And if you've ever watched Survivor, if you've even ever heard about Survivor, then you know what I'm talking about here. Every season, 
hey, almost every episode, friends, there's always some contestant who is doing these little confessionals that they do, and they're lamenting as to how, how they're ever going to actually lie to, lie about, or otherwise manipulate a fellow castaway. Some of whom, you know, quite frankly, they've grown, grown rather close to out there in the wilderness, all for the sake of moving themselves further along in the game and ever closer to that million bucks. Trust me here, folks. There ends up being a whole lot of generally good people who end up doing very terrible things on Survivor. And what gets me, what always has gotten me about this, is that their reaction to this kind of behavior usually goes one of two ways. Either they say, oh, oh well, it's just a game after all, it's not real life. Or they confess, often with a tear in their eye, is at the end of all this, I just need to be able to look myself in the mirror and thus act accordingly. And isn't it interesting, not always, mind you, but generally speaking, those aren't the people who end up being the sole survivor. If the question asked on a show like this and on countless other shows these days that have followed the same formula, if the question is, what would you do for a million dollars? The answer here would seem to be almost anything. Now, the question I like to ask, the real question, I think, is why? Why? Why do this? Even for a million dollars, why would you ever diminish yourself, tarnish your character, ruin your reputation, and, and throw your integrity to the four winds to do this? Now, I understand, folks, that there is a fair amount of fakery on these so-called reality shows. You, you take a lot of what you see with a grain of salt, and editing is everything. But, so I don't want to overthink this. But I suppose that at heart, the reason that people do this is, is their own human nature. Our inner yearning, if I might quote here the Reverend Thomas G. Long, who is professor of preaching at uh, the Candler School of Theology at Emory University. The reason is to hit the jackpot, to garner those windfalls that give us more of what most people are after, fame, fortune, power, and even security. Folks, this is basically the same reason people buy lottery tickets, right? It's the same reason that people enter the publisher's clearinghouse giveaway. And yes, that's still a thing, even when they know there's no chance whatsoever of them ever winning. We want, you see, we yearn for the benefits of that which we believe a million dollars will provide us, even if ultimately it won't. Even if it's not, at the end of the day, the true blessing that we're looking for. Now, lest we ever think that this is a latter-day phenomenon of human life, that this is just something, uh, an issue concerning our generation, consider the crowds from our gospel text for this morning, the one from John. And in the story, these crowds, just the day before, had been well-fed with a miraculous abundance of loaves and fishes, but now who were actively seeking Jesus out, even following him eagerly all the way from Tiberius to Capernaum in boats, mind you, 
ostensibly to be nearer to Jesus and to hear more of his teaching. But as we read in the text today, when they finally do find Jesus, he sees right through them. And he says, you're looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Or if I might draw from the messages version of this text, Jesus says, you're looking for me not because you see God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. I love that addition. In other words, this crowd, the people, kind of figured if they'd gotten one good meal, why couldn't they get another? And in the process of looking for that next meal, you see, to quote Thomas Long again, they confused the difference between the hunger for a blessing and the lust for a jackpot. And friends, I dare say that's where our confusion lies as well. You see, what Jesus makes clear in this passage is that he's not about to be a short-order cook for the crowds at Capernaum. Any more than it's going to be that following Jesus is going to be merely our means of wish fulfillment. No, it goes much, much deeper than that, friends. Do not work for the food that perishes, Jesus says, but work for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Yes, those people had their bellies filled, and they had them filled in a miraculous, amazing way. It was a meal none of them would ever forget. But you see, what Jesus was giving them was more than just perishable food that temporarily relieves a passing hunger. Jesus was offering up the nourishment of God, the food that feeds the soul and satisfies our deepest hunger. And the beauty part, the best thing of all, is that it's not even something that we have to earn. It's not something we have to win or survive. It's given to us as a gift gracefully, lovingly, purposefully. This is the work of God, says Jesus, that you believe in him whom he has sent. For each one of us as believers, you see, the most important question before us comes down not to what we do for a million dollars, but rather what we're willing to do for that which really matters. I mean, let's think about it. How willing, how willing are we to work for the blessing rather than go for the jackpot? Would we be willing to let go of our grip of dependence upon all those things of this world and this life will most certainly perish? Are we willing to, to let go of all that so that we can grab a hold of the life that is true and abundant and eternal? Are we willing to believe in something greater than ourselves and our accomplishments and then give over the whole of our hearts and lives to it? Are we willing to renounce the need for windfall or entitlement or privilege for the sake of loving our neighbor, all of our neighbors, to love them as ourselves, 
to love them and all others as Christ has loved us? Are we willing to lead lives worthy of the food that we've been given, this food that endures for eternal life? I've actually always been fond of the words of our second text for this morning, that portion from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in which he writes, I beg you, I beg you, he says, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, which, to which you've been called, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And also, by the way, and I'll draw once again from the message version of this text, mark that you do this not in fits and starts. I love that. Not in fits and starts, but pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert in noticing differences and quick in, at mending fences. I love this passage because it serves as a reminder not only that our calling as disciples is a marathon rather than a sprint. It's not just a one-time-only act and then move on. It is a lifelong commitment to working for the bread that endures. And not only that, that because of the bread, the work we do provides its own reward. So though we might wonder what would happen if we did make it to that final tribal council for fame and fortune and security. Ultimately, you see, it doesn't really matter if we never win the million dollars. Just as in the larger landscape of our lives and living, it makes no difference, really, if the other castaways we're with stick with their alliance and vote us off the island. It happens. What matters is how we played the game as the old saying goes. Because we know in faith that there is a greater place, there's a better meal awaiting us. Strangely enough, friends, the great Frederick Buechner has expressed this perfectly. He has written, No matter how much the world shatters us to pieces, we carry inside of us a vision of wholeness that we sense is our true home and that beckons to us. What matters, dear friends, is that our true home is ever and always going to be with God. What matters is that the sum total of our lives will never um, amount to whatever 15 minutes of fame we might have achieved along the way. What matters will always be in how we are able to live lives worthy of all of God's graceful gifts that we've had bestowed upon us. What matters, friends, in times of conflict and uncertainty is both that we stood up for justice and that we conducted ourselves after the manner of God's whole peace, his shalom, and that we made that our intent and priority, not only for our lives, but for the world. What matters is that we love. That we love as Christ has loved us and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. What matters 
are the ways that we speak the truth in love. Growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together. I pray that this will be the vision that beckons to each and every one of us, beloved, until all of us has come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to come to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So might it be, and may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, To Lead Lives Worthy was recorded on June the 14th as part of our current series of online services of worship at East Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And by the way, if you're looking for a way to worship this summer, we invite you to join us at one of those online services. We come together via Facebook Live every Sunday at 10 o'clock on our East Church Facebook page. And there we have some music, we pray together, and we share a message for the day. In these uncertain days, we are finding a whole lot of value in coming together this way, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. And with that, we're at the end of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening today. And until next time, be safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.